This week, we're talking about strongholds and followers. Matt Coville's brand new 5e supplement book that, we'll be honest, we've been waiting for for a while. Uh, This is going to be a two-parter, so buckle in, enjoy yourself. Today, we're covering the four types of strongholds and where they can go if you put them in your game. Welcome to We Speak Common. Hello, this is We Speak Common, the D&D podcast that is now on episode 13. We're getting there, Ben. We're getting there. Did you know we've got, uh, at time of recording, 344 total plays over all 12 episodes? It's like we're famous. No, it's it's really not. The last episode got like nine listeners. <laughs> we're getting there, we're getting there. Slowly but surely. Share us. Um, give us to your friends that like D&D, because yes. none of my friends, apart from the ones that I play D&D with, give a damn. So no, no, it's still like this secret society of It really people. is. And when I find people, they're like, oh, I don't know whether you're just saying that because you think it's cool. And I'm like, no, I've been playing for years. Let's be friends. And then I don't ever talk to them ever again. Yeah, it's always that thing where it's it's like you meet someone new and... <laughs> How do I D&D. slip this into conversation? Yeah. yeah. Normally I just blurt it out. And, um, Dungeons and Dragons. And then they either go, what? Or they go, yes. Yeah, well, they ask me, like, what am I doing? And I'm like, I'm recording a podcast. And like, oh, what's it about? Is it like Joe Rogan? I'm like, no. <laughs> no. Not not even a little bit. No. <laughs> Nothing like no, that. Um, no. No. But uh, I tell them what it's about. And occasionally you'll get someone who's like, oh, yeah, I've played D&D before. And it's like, whoa. You should listen to the podcast then. Yes, that. And also, I can't believe I found someone else. Yeah, and then and then you never do anything with them. They're like mutants in X-Men, just sort of living among society <laughs> in plain sight. Hiding away with their genetic changes. No. Okay. Okay. Well, how are you? I'm good, Ben. Good. I'm, good. I'm actually very good because the topic we're talking about today oh, you've is been one so, I love. You've been waiting for it for ages, haven't you? I have. Okay. We were originally going to talk about um, some unearthed arcana that came out recently and then i got my sticky hands my sticky fingers on a copy of strongholds and followers Mm. Um, and joe and i have been perusing the book for the past two three days yeah Um, originally we were going to talk about the sidekicks yeah so we'll probably do that another time but to be honest this ties in as well because you can get kind of yeah kind of yeah yeah. so there's we'll have to compare how they it would be interesting to to see yeah be interesting to see if they could Co- coexist in a game because it f- it feels a little bit like coincidence that uh, Wizards released a Sidekicks expansion for Iron After Arcana when Strongholds and Followers came out. Do you know what I mean? Like the same time. I don't know. Maybe mm. I'm reading into it. Maybe it's a coincidence. Yeah, and but if I'm remembering rightly, some of the mechanics are similar, some are a bit different. I think. That- yeah. But we'll get into that anyway, the, the nitty gritty of it. So, bit, bit, bit of background. Strongholds and Followers is a 5th edition supplement book created by Matt Coville. Mm-hmm. He kickstarted it. He kickstarted it. He's written it with um, a few people. It's to go with a second book that he's writing. We'll get into that later. That's not been released yet. Currently, you can only get the book in PDF form. The actual physical copies don't exist yet. They've not been printed. They get printed next year. Because I had a look because mm. I like to buy everything in physical because I'm an old man um, and I like to peruse put, put them on my shelf and never read them um, mm-hmm. so it's a lovely looking shelf it's, it's very good it's even better by the uh, the D&D limited edition collector's box set but anyway okay. weird um, flex but okay <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're gonna we're gonna 
are we going to go quite deep on this? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Indeed. So this is for anyone out there who wants in their D and D games to be able to have a base of operations that has some rules around it. It's not just sort of homebrewed. There are fixed rules that can be used for a lot of downtime stuff in your game, but also will eventually build into this whole sort of warring combat system that that's going to be in another book later on. Yeah, and is that pretty? Is that, is that a layman's way of saying what it is? Yeah, pretty much. What what I like about it, and I think what Matt's objective was with the book was to have it seamlessly integrate into the main kind of crux of D and D, which is you know adventuring, killing monsters, that sort of thing. Yeah. And have it not dis- uh, kind of distract from the the main goal of D and D or the main reason you play, but just be an add-on that seamlessly blends in. And I think he's done it quite well because it sort of shores up some of the areas of D and D that don't quite make sense or don't work after a certain amount of levels and stuff. Mm. So, for instance, um, downtime activities. There is some stuff for this in the like uh, the Dungeon Master Guide and stuff like that. What you can do, I think you can learn a new skill, like get a proficiency. Yeah, or... and Wizards expanded on it with. Uh, Xanifers, they put a lot of downtime rules in that as well, didn't yep. they? But what this does, is, and it also does, is it allows you to have a huge money sink. Because mm. in, after a f- really after about level five or six, money is meaningless in D and D. Yeah. Unless you live and in how a, do you how do you carry it around as well? Well, this is the thing. But it's after a while. Unless you're in a world where like magic items are just everywhere and they're always for sale. Mm. Because even if you're in a world where there are lots of magic items, mm. oftentimes the really good ones are not for sale or they're too rare to, to buy or what have you anyway. Or they cost like an absorbent amount. Like a, I think in in the rules, like a Holy Avenger is supposed to cost like 260k yeah. or something. Like 260,000 gold. Which, but to be fair, like in a world of D&D when you're getting money all the time, if you're doing that kind of game, then that, that doesn't seem that stupid. No. But it's also like who... Who goes to a town... Like, if, if I went to a local town in real life, I wouldn't buy a car worth £500,000. Yep. They wouldn't have it. They wouldn't have it in stock. I'd have to go to a specialist. So why are you just going to find a Holy Avenger worth that much gold in a, in a magic shop in the main city? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so this is the issue with D&D. You end up having loads of money, but not a lot of stuff to do with it. Now yeah. you can dump that into these strongholds and keeps and things like that and have these bases of operations that you can you can buy, build, upgrade, yeah. gather followers, um, begin to become a bigger kind of player politically within the land yeah. that you surround. So... I guess we'll just get into some of the the rules, really, and how it works. Yeah, well, I think what we'll do is if we go through the the four different types of strongholds, mm-hmm. um, then we'll talk a little bit about how your class affects that. Then we'll talk about the followers, and then we can have a little bit of a discussion about the uh, the adventure that comes with the book and the uh, the appendices, because it gives you some, some monsters, and it goes into warfare and stuff as well. Um yeah, I think that's probably the best way because that's sort of yeah. this is this is one of those books and I find this with a lot of D&D books in general it takes me a bit of time to read it. Um it takes me a few go-throughs of the same paragraph before it sinks into my mind. Well, yeah, because this book I find It's the same with any rules. I find it has a lot of page references and things like that to yeah. other parts of the book that you need to understand. So you have to jump around a little bit. It's to- kind of like for me it's like you'll read it and you'll read something on page 16 
and you'll think, I don't understand that. And then later on, you'll flip through and you'll be at page 65 and it'll be like, much like it mentioned on page 16 and then suddenly it twigs. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're not going to get it unless you read the whole book and it's going to take you time to, to sink into this. We've only had it for like three, maybe four at most days uh, and, we, and we've been working and stuff. So we could say some things that aren't slightly bang on correct, but we, we've pretty much kind of got the gist of it. Yeah. And what I mean, what I will say though, is if you like older editions of d and D, I I mm. think this is right up your alley because fifth edition i i find i kind of it's something i like about it but also dislike about it it's not very granular you yeah know? there's there's not many plus ones and plus twos and plus threes and things like that and lo- for and lots of different scenarios it's normally sort of a, you have advantage or you don't or you have disadvantage everything's simplified mm. to a more kind of on off state mm. this book is all about the little pluses and minuses yeah. and bonuses and it's very second edition it is is how you describe I it mean, to and me. in second edition when you get to 10th level as a, as a fighter like it's in the rules that people start flocking to you to become your retainer and stuff and like that. And that's kind of the point in this and, book. And you can get a castle and there are rules in second edition for getting a wizard tower and stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. So this really harkens back to that. Um which there is something I love. Uh, we'll get into it later. There is something about when I read and I'm someone who inherently loves being a wizard. I, I identify as a wizard. <laughs> I reading the tower section, I was just like, Yes, I want this now. I want this. But it is one of these things when going through it, I think God, you need a lot of gold first. I don't think I've ever had this much amount of gold in a game. But to be fair, if your DM's going to implement this, this rule set, then you kind of hope they're going to dish out a little bit more well, treasure. Well, that's the thing. Like in my games, as I DM, also takes a lot of time. I as don't. Well. I don't normally dish out very much gold. No. Like this book recommends that by the time you're about level seven, you should have enough gold to to buy a stronghold. Buy yeah. And a, a single stronghold costs 10k. Yeah. So give give or take some bear in mind modifiers. You guys in my game are level six now, and you probably have like I two two got, and a half k between I've, all of you. Yeah, I've got six hundred gold. I think I'm pretty stingy with the gold, but that's mainly because I didn't feel like giving out loads of gold See, when you I'm have nothing like to spend too, it on. And I've always felt like I've always felt like if I gave you gold, it's like, well, how are you carrying that much coin around with you? Um, and so I tend to give out my rewards in other ways, in like items or in uh, potions or scrolls or things that you can tactile and tactically use and feel and, 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 and get something out of. Whereas if I give you a load of gold, I'm like, well, now I've got to give them a shop shopping episode where they go and spend it. And I, I despise doing shopping episodes in D&D. Well, in my world, you can't really buy anything good. No. In, in, like um, magic items, apart from very... F- Unless you know specific people or are sort of in the loop, you can't really buy magic items in my mm. game because mm. they're, they're they're very rare. Um, in your games, they're more prevalent, but then they're quite cheap anyway. So it's like you know, again, this solves a problem of what do you do with your money. It 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 all comes down to what game you're playing. Like my game, magic items are everywhere and they're kind of affordable because I want you to feel like overpowered gods by the end of it like I want you to get that power curve like ramping right up whereas you could be playing a very medieval focused game where there are no magic items or there's very few like maybe one or two at the most that I think inherently this kind of rule set will fit into that very well but I think that the thing to remember as well is that this is a this is 266 pages of rules. This is a lot to give your DM or to take on as a DM. And 
not only is it new rules to think about, but it has to change the way you're running your game now because you need to give the time for the players to go back to their strongholds. You need to give them time to build, to study, to research. If they're building wizards towers, you need to give them the abilities to get the gold and spend the gold. And it, it, yeah, it's and more the, work. And the book does talk about this a little bit about how to implement these features into your game. And it really is a thing you do in between big quests. Like yeah. if the party's just come back from slaying, you know, a big red dragon that they've been hunting for the past ten sessions, mm. and they've come back and they've got a boatload of gold and some items and stuff. Now they can invest that. Mm. And this is not a rule set you'd use in a one shot no, either. But, like it's, uh, at a minimum, it's like games. you pretty much these keeps take at least like a hundred days to build, right? So it's normally you would spend the money do a little bit of a time skip mm. maybe jumping back in every maybe month or so for something to happen or what have you yeah um and i think a cool way and what they talk about as well is you can have, begin to have some of these followers retainers and units and things like that begin to join you as it keeps constructing and yeah. then you can fill that interim time with that sort of stuff so let's let's have a look at these keeps then so there are, I say keeps, we shouldn't say that because there, no. there is one specifically called the keep. There are the strongholds. Yeah, strongholds. so the strongholds. There are four different types. So you've got the keep, the tower, a temple, and an establishment. Yeah. So I've we'll got start a... With, start with the keep, I suppose. I've got here the very, um, the like the two-line descriptions of them. So keep is a martial stronghold for characters intended in raising armies and defending the local townsfolk. Barbarian camps and pirate ships are variations of those. Mm -hmm. There are, yeah, four mains, but there are variations, we should say that. A tower is an arcane stronghold for doing spell research and learning battle magic. Battle magic isn't in this book. It will be in the second book. That's one of my gripes. There are a few little asterisks that say, you can read about this in the next book. Why <laughs> <laughs> my second book? Um, so you know you you probably want to get both books when they're both out sorry we didn't make it um a temple is a divine stronghold for summoning extra planar allies and learning battle magic again uh, a druid's grave is a popular variation and an establishment is an espionage stronghold for sabotaging your enemies and generating revenue and then finally so they're your four types you can have a castle which combines two or more of those four types in one stronghold yes yeah, so like for instance the keep is the most expensive and it's um it takes the longest to build yeah because if you imagine it obviously a wizard tower is just that it's a tower um but a keep is like a so, level one keep it, they describe it as like a modern bailey castle yeah so a keep um will cost you ten thousand gold pieces it would take 150 in-game days to build and that's at, le at at first level. Yeah, and there are and some, each each building has a has a level one to five. And there are some asterisks with this as well. If a cool mechanic as well, and a good way to implement it into your game is if you come across what can be described as a ruin. Yeah. Um. So a partially destroyed keep, wizard tower, what have you, a burnt a um say a a burnt down. A tavern yeah. for instance yeah. that could be a, rebuilt a, upon yeah an establishment you the cost is halved and the time is halved yeah so if you, if you want to give your players a keep for example or a tower or something a stronghold of any kind but you know they're not going to have 10,000 gold pieces to build one from scratch then you can give them one and say right well and, and you have to kind of plant the idea if they're not that kind of player but say you know well, you could use this and then it would only cost them 5,000 gold to to get it back up to working order and half of the time so what uh, 50 75 days yeah and then the 
the other way to get one is to get one gifted to you, basically. So perhaps you help a uh, noble or a lord in battle, and he yep. and he gives you a um, a keep denizen to look after and lord over, and you yep. be, perhaps you become somewhat of a baron, or maybe a um, high-ranking priest gives you control over a, a temple, for mm-hmm. instance, and that could be one. So you can get them for free, essentially, but after doing favors for certain NPCs, that's a way you can go. So, yeah, and then there's the castles, which we'll touch on briefly. They take, like, 10% longer to build. Yeah, so a castle... Let me just and get they, this here. They also cost slightly more money. So a castle will take... Uh, it can, the, the idea of a castle is that multiple characters can chip in on it yeah, so unless one character is literally rolling in cash so let's just say for instance you've got a fighter and a cleric and a wizard right yeah. and, they, and they've and they just come back they've all got boatloads of money from their, their questing and in, when they get to this downtime stuff and they want to spend time in their, their strongholds they don't want to go off to different places and, and separate right they want to keep mm-hmm. the party together so what they can do is they can pull their resources together and instead of building a keep, you can build a castle which houses a keep, temple and yeah. tower. So the rule is a castle costs 10% more and takes 10% longer for every basic stronghold function incorporated. So let's say you were building a castle that had a keep, a temple and a tower. It would cost 33,800 gold pieces and take 507 days, which is 10,000 for the keep, 8,000 gold each for a tower and temple, 150 days for the keep, and 120 days each for the temple and tower, then the extra 30% on top. Yep. So it's, it's, again, this is the one thing that I thought when reading it, I was like, God, that's a lot of time and a lot of money in game. And our games that we play don't tend to have time skips. So it, it, it changes the way you play, mm-hmm. but it's meant to. Definitely, but as a DM, obviously you can shorten that if you want. To, you can half the time if you give them like a ruin to build upon. Yep. So like an old, um, an old castle destroyed castle, something. yeah, something, yeah. something like that. Um, and then there's nothing stopping the players from adding a tower if it hasn't got a tower, or adding it. Like say they find a tower ruin and they build it back up to be a tower, they can then add a keep and make it a castle. Sure. You know, it's 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 up to you at the end of the day. Like like anything is, you're a you're the DM. You have to bend the rules to your usage. So, what do you get for these things? So, we'll start off with the keep. Yeah. Now, the keep the page. heavily ties into the warfare rules, which we'll touch on in a bit. Mm. And so, a keep is for the martial characters. So, you're anyone can have a keep, but it obviously it makes most yeah. sense thematically so and mechanically to have it for a fighter, a paladin. Before we go really deep, we will touch on the class changes later. But there are no restrictions. A wizard can have a keep. A druid can have a keep. A bard, anyone. It doesn't matter. If you want to keep, you can build a keep. Yeah, and vice versa. Even same for wizard tower. Yeah, or if, if you. you're if you're not a spellcaster, but you want to research spells for some reason, fine. Let's say you've got a wizard NPC friend. You can build a tower and have them in it researching, and they can maybe produce spell scrolls for you, for example. That kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. So a keep um, has a few bonuses that other strongholds don't have one it's uh what's classed as a fortification so it yeah. gives bonuses to your troops when you're defending it in battle using the warfare system mm-hmm. so that's part of it it also allows you to house more units so when you build a kit units are basically if you think of them like uh like you would in say a like a strategy video game or something mm-hmm. like that right or a like a card in a card game, for instance, of units. They're just a a, uni- a unit. Yeah, a uni- unit represents about a hundred normally um, 
company of soldiers right then they can be archers or cavalry or flying units or well in in yeah in this uh, example they've put in, he's put in the book it's like a, a unit size could be let's say you had a light infantry unit a light infantry unit would be the size of 1d4 so you, a light infantry unit could be anywhere from four men to one <laughs> one man in in that ruling so play with that if you will but you you can well i think i think it, i think that's just abstract you can in- think you can change those sizes because i think yeah. that the the d4 is basically the max a unit can be is a d20 yeah the smallest can be is a d4 and that is an abstract way of representing the amount of people, people in, that in that unit and essentially yeah. how much health it has um, when you get to the warfare rules. But so a keep is all about building an army, defending the land, and it's it's about making a statement, a presence. Like, I am here, I am a power now within this landscape. Respect me. Less so, more so than, say, like a an establishment or a wizard tower is, right? They're yeah. more, generally more remote, less um, in-your-face things. But It's here, kind of like flexing your muscles and being like, look at us, we're a militia. Exactly. And when you build a keep, like it talks about in the rules as well, normally a village will pop up around the keep because the stonemasons, the carpenters, the things like that that begin to build their keep will probably want to bring their families with them. They're probably going to start living near the thing they're building for months on end. And then, you know, a small town begins to prop up around the keep. And then you are that sort of symbol of power within the region. And again, in the Kingdoms and Warfare book they will expand on that about how you can grow your presence um so if you think of it as a hex tile map when you build a keep you have control over that hex that the keep is in and then you can begin to expand your um sphere of influence if you will yeah so what or your hex of influence rather but um so you have that what when you get a keep i think you can level up you can level up um your strongholds like you say up to five or what have you yeah but when you build a keep you start off when it's finished you get two units so you could get maybe a light cavalry and an infantry unit yeah you roll on a table plus one unit for every level of the keep and you can also if you have enough cash you can you can, str- buy you can straight away well yeah you can do that but you can straight away say build a level three keep if you have the cash oh yeah you don't it takes long it takes longer it costs more money but you don't have to build a level one then make two, it two, then make three. it three. Yeah, if you had the cash, you could just drop it all into a level five straight away if you wanted. Yeah, and have a huge... I mean, it would take like a thousand days or whatever to yeah, build. Yeah, take ages, but, but you, you could, could do it. You could do that, yeah, because... And they describe it as well, like a level one keep is uh, essentially a small Mott Bailey fortification or castle. Maybe like a like a fence. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And as you build it out and out, it becomes more and more castle-like. Um, yeah, and it can have its own like little market around it. it doesn't have to just be the yeah. keep yeah and so yeah you have these units it also which is important if you want to be getting to a lot of the warfare stuff your units cost half to maintain mm-hmm. which is um a big bonus because each unit costs one tenth of its like to buy price to maintain every season mm. um and th- basically th- these rules will work on like a, a season basis right yeah um, i'm not sure if that means like a whole year or just like a summer or whatever i guess um, it depends on what calendar your game is yeah, running I, but for whatever a ti- season tends to be for uh four months yeah whatever time frame you're measuring it costs one tenth of its full cost but if you're running a um a keep then it costs half of that mm. so you can field a much larger army um and be able to afford it yeah and on top of that you get a bonus depending on what sort of weapon or armor you use there's a bunch to choose yeah, from. yeah so you can do at a keep you can do training um and that's 
So that's like the shirtless montage with your troops. Let's get down to business. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, So, but but you have to have the proficiency in a type of training to do the training. So there's light armor training, which you can only do if your character has light armor proficiency. So, for example, if you do light armor training on what they call an extended rest, which is a week spent at your stronghold, um, you get advantage on dexterity checks while wearing light armor at all times mm-hmm. you can do medium armor heavy armor there's bludgeoning training finesse training piercing reach shield slashing like all these different types versatile yeah they give um, you different bonuses so like versatile give you gives you plus a, one in AC plus one AC slashing yeah. gives you an extra D6 on your damage yeah so this is a cool bonus as well little extra things and you you just you, you do them during your downtime so you finish an adventure you go back to your keep your stronghold and you say I'm going to take I'm going to spend an extended rest I'm going to spend a week at my stronghold and I'm going to do some bludgeoning training so now every time I score a critical hit uh, with a bludgeoning weapon the target has disadvantage on all attack rows saving throws and skill checks yeah checks and for, for DMs as well thinking like time. well okay how am I running this when my players are off doing other stuff when we get into the followers and stuff like that later but like um you can get like a captain or a retainer yeah, or a you're, warlord you're, you're the people who flock to you your they followers they look after the place when they you're look not after there. the place you're not there and it's even suggested in the rules if you like you can flash back or flash between the where the what the party's Parts currently doing, doing yeah. on their main quest and maybe they for a session you take control like the the players can take control of a couple of their followers mm. and do some stuff in the keep yeah or you can give them orders right to go and do different things there's also specific magic items in here that help with this there's a um like a diplomacy bag where they're like two of them linked so if you put a message in one it pops out in the other it pops out in the yeah, other it's like a messaging stone so that's that's uh good stuff for keeping tabs on things yeah because they when say you're like away. oh a, a messenger's not going to come and find you down in a dungeon but there are other ways to get you like yeah there's a sending spell or something yeah, like that. Was sort of questioning this the other day and i sort of did the example of like you know Winterfell doesn't completely fall into ruin every time Ned yeah. Stark sort of steps out for a fag. But yeah, it's still, it's still, still. Although runs. saying that, I mean, it Winterfell did, it did get killed, and it <laughs> yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Bad example. It's not a great example. Um, so just really quickly, because uh, we're gonna we're gonna go over time if we go into too much detail. But the barbarian camp is a is a it's like a variety keep. of a keep. Yes, it's mobile, so it's like a. Think of your your gang in Red Dead Redemption 2. That yeah, would be exactly. a barbarian keep. Yeah, and then there's a pirate ship, which again is another variant of that. Just on the sea. Yeah, and they have different they have different um, like things to them. So a barbarian uh, camp will move less. Will will move a shorter amount of distance for the the bigger it is. Whereas a pirate ship, the bigger it is, the further it can move. Cause it's got bigger sails. So they have different rules, and it's yeah. just a nice way of flipping and them so into your games. Like a final note on the keep is that. Really, you're getting a keep for its thematic component. The fact yeah. that once you get one, and it says in the in the rules here, like because this is a lot for a DM to take on in terms of NPCs. Mm-hmm. When you start getting followers, retainers, things like that, the DM's got a lot more work to do because he has to start coming up with backstories and stuff like that for yeah. these retainers. And the book does help because it gives you a lot of examples for what you can do. It gives there. you some pre-made characters, but to it put also in as well. says you they can fall into any one ca- category. They can be an ally, neutral. Or they can be an enemy. And when you get a keep. Perhaps an ally is someone you helped in battle mm-hmm. um, to sort of grant you. Perhaps it's the person who granted you the keep in the in the first place because you helped them, right? Yeah. A neutral person is like a lord who could help the your keep, or they could help a perhaps an enemy, an enemy baron. Yeah. But they haven't made up their mind yet. And then 
enemies are perhaps a local baron or lord who's just seen you raise an army in a keep and is not, Doesn't not like keen it. on yeah. that is concerned that what you might be doing yeah. perhaps they give you an ultimatum they say look you know we're going to come destroy you if you don't join us maybe you make a pact perhaps you say no screw that and then you have a battle to defend your keep mm. another cool one in here that um, Matt Coville puts in is he says in his games he doesn't give you can build a keep but he doesn't give you the benefits of the keep until you've defended yeah, it in battle yeah which I think is cool, it, that's, which is quite that, cool. That, that's quite cool and I mean if you're thinking like, oh I don't really want to do these big scale battles between keeps that's fine you don't have to do that there is also um You've got the warfare rules, but yeah. then there's a massively simplified warfare rule, yeah. which literally just um, resolves the battle in one roll. Yeah. One, uh, do you win or do you lose? One d one hundred percent, I'll die, and you get lots of bonuses and negatives. Mm-hmm. So you what you do a calculation to work out what's your modifier. final bo- modifier, then you roll the other army rolls, and that and then whoever gets the highest roll wins. Yeah. So that's a, an easy way you can resolve that and still have the fun of having a keep. Yeah, and if you don't want the, the, the combat that comes with the keep, a keep can be a base of operations, it can be a, a place where the party gets quests or gives quests out, you know. Well, what's cool is uh, a certain type of follower you can get is called an ambassador. Yeah. And that's an ambassador for a race, but it's also like a, a subsection of that race. So you could get an Aarakocra ambassador who's not necessarily an, ambos- an ambassador for that entire race, but perhaps a certain sect or tribe of Aarakocra. Yeah, has like some contacts. It comes to you, they, get, they allow you to buy units from that race, but also you're getting all these new cool political NPCs that you can inter- interact with. You mm. can have an entire campaign just resolve itself with, the within the walls of your keep. Yeah. Political manoeuvring. This is the the Game of Thrones rules for D&D, basically. Okay. Moving on. The, Look tower. At the tower. So the tower is uh, to the fighter what the keep is, the wizard is the tower, yep. basically. That was a weird way of saying it. <laughs> What, the what, wizard is what the, the stone of the keep. The, the wizard is to the tower. Yes. There you go. So it's uh, it's a magical place. It's a place for arcane research and uh, developmental magics and experiments. So you build a tower and you build it at its base level. It just has one level, and then obviously each stronghold has five levels. So you can get um, their example of a fifth level tower is a tower with. Uh, one, two, three levels, a cellar, then a teleportation level with a circle in it, and then a, an observatory with a telescope that looks into the sky, which is really cool. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I want it. Uh, side note, there's also some great maps in oh, this book. Oh, there's some really good maps, and art as well. Yep. So, as um, someone who owns a tower, instead of pulling in mercenaries and armed fighters and making an army, what you'll be doing is researching magic. So yeah. you pick... And just side note, sorry oh. to keep interrupting, no, no, but no, like... You can still have an army, but it will just cost you full price, unlike the keep, where you Which can, gives, you, yeah. gives you discounts, basically. Yeah. So you would pick, for example, as a wizard, a spell that you want to research. Uh, any spell that is on the arcane spellcasters list. So it has to be on a wizard list, a sorcerer list, or there's another one. Uh, Warlock? No. Is Warlock arcane or divine? Because uh, it's a patron. I think it's no. I think it's arcane. I would say it's arcane. Well, at least if it's on the wizard sorcerer, sure. no one, no one actually understands how to play a warlock. Yeah, so. no. as long as it's not divine, you can research it. You then spend an amount of time researching a spell based on the spell's level and uh, something else. It's your, it's the spell's level and then minus your tower level. Yeah. So you, and it's all done in weeks. Yeah. So if it's a fifth level spell, that's five weeks. If you've got a level one tower, it's actually four weeks to research. It's a month to research exactly. that spell. Um, researching a spell means that you can effectively add it to your spellbook as a wizard 
mm-hmm. which is really cool. Or if your DM allows it, maybe get it down on a scroll or something of that effect. Mm-hmm. That's what researching does. And either you can do that or you can have one of your followers or retainers do that. There's also a follower that specifically can speed up that process yeah. as well. So that would be, for me as a wizard, that's like the main draw of a tower is I can go off an adventure and keep levelling up, but I can have my retainers back at the tower looking into certain spells that I know I'm going to want to add cool, to my book. And the cool thing about this spell is it, it's not just the base spell that you gain. So for instance, if you get, if you research a hypnotic pattern, right, mm-hmm. which is a third level spell... Once you've researched it, it becomes a fourth level spell, but you yes. get these cool random tables you can roll on to see what yeah, extra so effects can, this spell has. You can either have it based as its as its normal spell, you can have it as just the third level hypnotic if you want. Yeah, I think so. Um, but if you spend the extra time and the money as well, you can do what is basically... Uh, inventing a new version of that spell. Mm-hmm. So we all know of Mordekainen's... Uh, Magnificent Mansion and Big Beast Hand and Tencent's Floating Disc all these spells that have been made by actual wizards in the game that were originally PCs mm-hmm. and it's that kind of idea it's that thing of mm, we, you're a wizard you want to have your own named spell so this is how you do it so you pick a spell so let's say you pick Arcane Eye okay Arcane Eye is a spell you research it you spend the time researching that spell however long it's going to take you with your tower in this level and then once you've researched it you spend a certain amount of money and time gathering ingredients and basically locking yourself in your tower and focusing on just that spell and casting it hundreds of times and and developing it into something So you could imagine if this wizard tower was, say, in a castle, whilst the fighter's off going and raising his armies and training his troops and the the clerics praying at their temple and doing their concordance um, kind of mechanics and stuff, you're in your tower researching this spell during the downtime. Yeah. So it says here... um, Time spent takes eight hours of every day, six days a week. The Arcanist is able to take breaks a few times each day to speak with their lieutenant and command their followers, oversee the construction of their tower, but they spend the required time in research. If this is if this time's interrupted, the new spell slips from their mind and they must start again. So it's literally that thing of locking themselves away and just like weird noises coming from behind the door and flashes of light and things yeah, like yeah. See, this is what's so cool about this. For book, so much it's time. Just, it's just, there's so much like um like flavour and yeah. th- um, thematic elements to it that are just great so to research a spell a magic user must spend one month plus one week per level of the spell minus one week per level of their tower so vampiric touch um, to make into uh, a better version it's a third level spell uh, let's say the tower is a first level tower therefore researching it will take six weeks the base time of four weeks plus the three of the spells level then minus one because the tower is level level one, one. Um, once you've spent that amount of time and you've researched the spell, then you get to roll on the chart to see what extra effect you get. So you have to pick what you want the new effect to, to kind of do. So you pick whether you want it to target yourself or an ally, an enemy, all enemies in the area, all allies in the area, or you can have the umbrella of the spell does damage. Yeah, well, I, th- I think that'll be based on whatever spell you're researching. Yeah, like, so let's like say... A, a fireball would be AoE and etc. And... Yeah, but let's say you're researching fireball and you want it to hurt all of the bad guys in the area, but also you wanted to do something to all of your allies in the area. Bit counterintuitive, but you can. Like that's the thing, you can be mental. No, I didn't. I didn't really think of it like that. I don't. Yeah, I guess yeah. that is that. Because fireball, fireball, as a ball of fire, fireball, <laughs> uh, it already gets everyone in the area. 
So let's give it the extra effect of you also. Call, you could come with that quite nicely with like the evokers, like yeah, pockets yeah. of safety bit. Yeah. When, oh, I'm liking dangerous. it, Ben. Dangerous. I'm liking it. So let's say, let's, okay, so let's go fireball. We want it to affect not only everyone in the area like it already does, but we also want it to affect all of the allies in the area. So then you go down to your, ta- your table and you find the one for um, targeting uh, you and all allies. Where is it? Let me find it. Uh, several enemies, one enemy. Spell targets allies, right. So this is a D8. So you roll a D8 and you could get, for example, uh, Fated. Until the start of their next turn, targets may re-roll damage rolls and may take the new roll. Mm. Uh, or Vengeful, for 10 minutes, targets gain a reaction they may use to attack any enemies who damage them. This I've just realised how counterintuitive this, because you're going to hurt them with the fireball mm-hmm. and give them a bonus, but I, yeah, I'm chaotic neutral, so it's I like, fine. Oh, I do like the one, um, like, Hypnotic Pattern, which basically puts everyone into a trance. You yeah. can get, like, Impactful on that, which knocks everyone prone. Mm. So it's like this this one blast of hypnotism and everyone's just stunned on and on the like, floor. Uh, yeah. So you can get cool bonuses like that, which is pretty neat. And then for like does damage, if you if you want to make take a spell and make it do more damage, so let's say you're doing, um, let's say magic missile, you want magic missile, or it does force damage, but you want to buff it, you want that force damage to be something a little bit better, let's, uh, you could give it, you can roll on the damage table, you could get, force again which is called detonating so uh, effective targets are knocked prone on their next turn they must make a wisdom saving throw to stand up on their following turn they may stand up normally without making a save so that just buffs your magic missile a little better or you could give it melting so objects carried by the target that hit take damage equal to the spell's damage it's, it's so thematic like mm. I'm imagining like a magic missile just knocking someone off their feet yeah. now and yeah, it, yeah and then you call cool. that so it's then you cool. name that spell so that magic missile then becomes detonating magic missile or let's say your character is called Dimitri Dimitri's detonating magic missile done that's your spell now that is Dimitri's spell that he made beautiful alliteration thank you it has to with the wizards it has to so you create this new spell and you've got it it's yours Um, you can use it uh, as many times uh, a day as your tower's level is is that right? Something like that. Yeah, so like if your tower's a fifth level tower, you can use your spell five times before you have to take an extended rest. And here's the thing as well, and it says about this in the book, these rules do slightly break the game. Uh, A paladin paladin with a level five keep is going to be demonstrously overpowered compared to a paladin that does not have a keep. But that's the point, is they're supposed to make you very powerful and it's supposed to be sort of... um, kind of tier two and beyond uh, gameplay mechanics and on top of that a lot almost all the, the abilities you get all the extra stuff you get are tied to this extended long rest so you can't just build a big keep get these abilities never come back to the keep and just have all these extra stuff mm. they will diminish over time normally it's tied to your um main ability modifier so for paladin it's like charisma so you like the paladin and we'll get to this later because you also get a special ability based on your um class regardless of what stronghold yeah. you have yeah like that ability will only he'll only be able to use it for as many times as his uh, charisma modifier he has and then he'll have to go back to the keep and do an extended long rest yeah which is a week yeah so it encourages players to not spend all the time in their keep because they want to go out adventuring using these abilities but, but it, it also encourages them, them to, back. to pop back and which then, was a worry for me as a dm i was like how am i going to get players to go back to stronghold because i've had in my games buildings that they own or are given to um, like here you go this is your base and they've never gone back no, ever but, no but now there's the mechanical now there's a reason and what's to. cool is as a DM this helps it kind of tying into what we were saying the other day about um, 
going off the rails and stuff like that you know this is a focal point of the world now you know mm. this is a kind of you can have it as a microcosm of what's going on because you've got ambassadors from every race yeah. and different places so whenever the players go back to this uh, keep or tower or temple what have you establishment you can drop some info on them you can move the story along you can have things happen however you want and you as a dm you have a lot of freedom because the players aren't there they don't know what's going on at their their keep so you can just drop things in take things out and have it set up perhaps they come back to their keep and there's a big siege going on and yeah like, maybe they come back and there's a massive hole in the wall you know and, like, and their oh, captains on you the, were gone for too the long the captains on the battlements like you know looking Shouting, at them like yeah. help <laughs> yeah and the, the the nice thing as well about uh, all of this I think is that it gives the DM just a little bit of extra room to breathe it's like if they're going back to their keep it's like okay they can they have stuff to do there I don't have to build another quest for them for the area they're leaving to I can let them get to their keep and do what they want there they don't you don't have to have something prepared for them because going back to your keep could mean you know raising a new army or learning a new spell or or whatever so mm. it doesn't you know you don't have to it's, I really it's like nice. as well there's breathing room like there's the, reasons the example they give as well is if say you attract a captain as one of your followers right mm. and he's your um, lieutenant in the keep when you're away handling things it's a good it's recommended that the DM have these characters either being played by the PCs in a flashback or what have you or just happening off screen have these guys going out and ruling the land you know mm. stopping crime and and yeah. and using the keep as a as a force and actually See, making thing, impact in the world the thing i like about the wizard's tower is that you can be a wizard and build a tower of secret in a forest somewhere and be like this is my secret laboratory but eventually it's going to be found and people are going to know it's there because you're going to start doing things and you're going to make a name for yourself because building a stronghold is a statement um another one like another great example is a druid's grove is a variant of the temple which mm. we'll get to in a second and the main power for that druid's grove is giving the druid a a really powerful spell and depending on how powerful it is limits the amount of times they can cast it for instance a a resurrection they can only cast once a year yeah but again this will attract people because as soon as they start finding out a lord might come to you and be like i need you to resurrect my dead son i need this resurrection yeah and what's awesome is it completely turns the tables on its head and you can have the players feel so powerful if you've got a level 10 druid with this massively powerful resurrection that he shouldn't have yet yeah. and you've got a lords coming to him the the, the player, player almost becomes like the, the quest, quest giver, giver. he's yeah. like we'll go and do this for me then yeah it, it completely switches the game yeah. and it's and it's a fun power fantasy for the players to have for a little while so just capping off the towers then um well there's an alternate um well rule for there's, the... there's one other thing as well it's like when we were talking about the the spells and, and and researching and having effects you can you go out you use your spell and the more you use it the more it develops so if you want to change your effects you can have that conversation there's a built-in reason for the effects to change if they're not quite maybe you roll and you get a rubbish effect and you're like this spell's naff I don't want it anymore Mm -hmm. Um, and you can only have as many of your own spells as as your level of your tower yes so you a maximum of five and then the nice thing is as well is as you go out into the world and you use your spell people begin to notice it and see it and maybe you're a famed adventurer at this point and people are like oh that that man that dimitri he's using a different magic missile and eventually people start working it out and someone countering 
counter invents it and and works out how you made it and then your dimitri's the coolest part is demonic ma- magic missile starts appearing on spells yeah, i love and the, starts being cast i love against the, i love you. the idea yeah i love the idea that you cast this perhaps you you enhance a disintegrate and then like 20 sessions later when you're on the final Someone final boss against, against the archmage you know all of a sudden the bad guy casts you know Dimitri's devastating disintegrate or something yeah. against you and you're just like whoa that's <laughs> my spell you've become a famous wizard yeah. which is which is really cool which is the, the whole thing I mean they do say you get you get advantage, you get advantage on saves against, against, against your own spells which yeah. makes sense you did yeah. make it after all so yeah that's um, this really cool the tower's a bit of a bit of a trip for me uh, Joe we are, we are massively going over we, we have to split this into like should two we split this into two do you want to Shall or should we, we just keep going for a bit? Shall we? Um, let's extend this episode. Yep. Let's do. The, let's get the temple done and the um, uh, establishment, and then next week we'll, we'll talk, talk about, about followers, followers and, and stuff. And stuff like yeah, that. cool. It's a big book. Okay, so the temple. The temple is pretty cool. It's sort of a variation on the cleric's divine intervention ability. Mm-hmm. The difference is being divine intervention, either it works or it doesn't, but it's only a positive. And the thing about divine intervention as well is I as a DM have never known how to reward it. No. Or how to how to like, okay, roll a D twenty, let's see if they the god listens to you and then I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. As a DM I'm like <laughs> So this is nice. This gives you some rules. So this the main crux of the temple is it gives you what's called concordance. Mm-hmm. Now, you have essentially a stat or a, a modifier to concordance, which the DM can keep track of, or the player can, and it's modified and it has loads of different tables of different modifications that you can add to this score depending on what the player does. So, for instance, they defeat an enemy priest, a priest of a rival god. Yeah. That's plus 10 to their concordance role. Mm-hmm. They um, desecrate an altar of a rival. That's at plus 15. Plus 15. They, if they aid an enemy priest, that's minus 10, right? And every time you use concordance as well, you get a flat, like, minus 30 to the score. Mm. So... You can't be spamming it, and and the, minus thirty per week that you've used it. Yeah. So if you've used it once this week already, and then you go to use your concordance again, then you get the minus thirty. Yeah, and yeah. so this this makes sense. Like you know, the, your god can punish you for for constantly badgering them all the time. For, yeah, for so aid. it's not always going to be good. They're going to be like, stop annoying me. Here's a thunderbolt. So do you bum. have do you have the table there for what the rewards are for concordance? Uh, yeah, let the me D one hundred. Here we go. So I know like one to sixty is bad. I think. Okay, so one to twenty is cursed for the next minute whenever you make an attack roll or a saving throw you must roll a d4 and subtract the number rolled from the result of your attack roll or saving throw so this is pretty rare because normally you'll be having a concordance bonus to this that's going to be higher than at least 20 yeah the adjustment of that as well if you get that result the next time you roll you have minus 20 Mm -hmm. the bonus as well like like a keep gives you the bonuses to your units the bonus for a temple is you just get a flat plus 15 bonus for having a temple having a temple um, so then 21 to 65 ignored things could have been worse <laughs> and that's a f- minus 15 adjustment to the next time you roll 66 to 75 is blessed which is the same as cursed but you roll a d4 and add it the number rather than take it away that's a minus 10 adjustment uh, 76 to 84 um, all the way up to 115 plus because your 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 modifier can get you up to the maximum of 130 concordance yep. on your roll when you roll a d d100 these are all um, summoning a servitor 
Servitor. Servitor? Servitor. Servitor. Yeah, Servitor, which comes and aids you in battle. So 76 to 84 is type 1, 85 to 94 type 2, 95 to 104 type 3, 105 to 109 type And there are stat blocks for these Servitors in this book. Yeah. So these Servitors, so let's say you're having a you're having a fight with uh, a treant, I don't know, maybe you're fighting a treant, and you're like, I can't do this on Think, my own. Things are going bad. Things are going really bad. My party's going to die. I need help. God, please help me. Um, God says, do you know what? Yeah, all right, fine. Here's a level three servitor. So then you as the DM go to the servitor's table. You find the type three column. Uh, there's one, two, three, four, five, six. So there's eight different types. So Is it based on your alignment? Uh, kind of. So they're based on different uh, like types of gods. So there's ah. fey, celestial, elemental, aberration, construct, and then there's two fiends and one undead. So you could get... You could say, so say you're, so that you, uh, would, you would look at the god and pick the one that makes what, the that most makes sense. sense. So like, let's say god. I think, right, you're going to have a fey servitor. So from the court of Arcadia, you have received a, I don't know how you pronounce this, a monochron. Yeah. So say like, say like your god was like Thor, right? Yeah. Elemental would make the most sense for that one. Yeah. Right? So you'd get a pillar of water as a type three. Yeah. So type one elemental is a fire moat. A type two is a source of earth. A type six is uh, a high templar of dust. Yeah, so these guys can aid you in battle. Well, I think again the thematic elements. This is great. Is when they come down, they can relay messages they from can, your yeah, god. Yeah, they can. They can but come they down all, and be like, for God's sake, I don't want to be here. Stop asking for help. But I'll help you this time. They also have. They're also not just mindless drones of that god. They have their own personality, and they can come down begrudgingly mm. so it's almost like you might call a servitor down and he's like i'm doing this for the god but i don't actually want like, to i don't want to be here but i'm doing it because i have to and they can they can say that and they can die on the field these are yeah. not like immortal beings when they die outside it's like any kind of celestial or devil or, de- or demon when they die outside of their plane of existence their body hits the floor bodies um sorry and then their their essence their soul or whatever it is that they have as that creature goes back to their plane of existence to reform a new body so they'll go back to if they're fate the court of arcadia i just love the idea that say you've you've risked it and you this is the second time in the week you're using concordance you've got that minus 30 but you rolled really well and you're getting a servitor and it comes down and it just looks you and it's like again really really (laughs) do you can't you just sort yourself out it's so good and what's great as well because anyone can have a temple this could be the fighter doing this yeah a pious fighter who's calling down hey it could be a warlock who actually has an evil patron but is also religious to a good god Mm. so every time the warlock every time the servitor comes down it's really judging the warlock (laughs) i like like that make make better decisions why are you still following them (laughs) i really like that okay so the the variation of the temple is the druid grove and this is for your kind of your druid that that doesn't follow a particular god but but gives to mother nature or to to whatever god and the druid grove still gets the concordance ability but it doesn't get the plus 15 for for being a temple so they get something else so so that is the difference you still can you you still have concordance you just don't have that base plus 15 bonus Mm -hmm. so it's a little bit more difficult but you get uh, spells that you can use when you're at your grove so your grove could be uh, unlike a temple or a tower a grove doesn't like get extra rooms and get taller it just gets a a wider space of land and you have to tend to it oh yeah yeah you have to look after the land so it could start off as a um 
like a, a daisy meadow in a forest at level one and then at level five it's like 22 acres and it's a, a hot your grove is your whole forest and you're like radagast the brown running around with the hairs and, and like mm-hmm. making sure everyone's fine from the evil like spider things that come and attack in the hobbit um so the spells you get are based on that level i believe is that right I think I think I think in exchange for installing a powerful spell, including spells you don't know or which might not be on the druid spell list, into the grove, making it permanent. The druid chooses one spell from the list below and spends a month in meditation. If the powers that grant them their spells are pleased with their work, they permanently instill install the spell the druid requested, which can be cast once per period listed in the grove spell table. So it's the so choice re- is yeah, read this table because it's cool. Reincarnate once per season so every four months if you're on a Gregorian calendar foresight once per season greater restoration once per month uh, heal once per month resurrection once per year so it's it's pretty cool and the foresight one is a, is an, an awesome, it's like the best buff in the game mm. so if someone knows you can cast it perhaps a great a, perhaps a great powerful paladin that's going off to to slay a dragon is like Look, I, I need to know what's going to happen. I need this buff. Can you can you help yeah. me? And you, you as a druid can be like, mm, okay, sure, but go and kill these bugbears that are annoying my forest first. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I just love the idea of the of the PCs being yeah. the quest giver. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's it's one of those things that doesn't add anything really to the game. Like that doesn't give as a DM. I'm like that doesn't give them a quest to go on. Why would they do it? But I'm like, oh no, they'll do it because it's fun. <laughs> like, yeah, and also you can cast the spells yourself and help your own party. But, oh yeah, but that's just a, a very cool cool thing to do there. Yeah, so that's nice. It's an, an extra little thing. And as a druid, it's and I've I play a druid, and that's quite nice having a the, the whole thing. Of having a bit of land that's your own that you look after and no, you can, I kept thinking of Timbal in this yeah. and how he would go about that and although can, the Ranger's Lodge the is Ranger's also is good. another good one so you can attract like um like a gardener who will tend your land <laughs> imagine if you're a druid grove and it's like a 22 acre forest and you attract one gardener mm-hmm. that poor bloke <laughs> I know <laughs> he's got to mow the lawn for a whole forest can you imagine so that's um that's quite nice that's that is the the druid grove so the last one then is the establishment now the establishment is i like this the opening line of this is not all strongholds are mighty fortresses made of stone if you're a rogue or a bard you may have little use of an army or your own bespoke spell um and it goes on and on so basically the establishment is any type of building that operates as a front Mm-hmm. to like a spy sort of industry so i think of house demir in ravnica so the examples there in the book the for the like the rogues establishment it could be like a blacksmith yeah so let's say you've got a, a tavern or a blacksmith or a um, an enchanter's shop or something well, and for a bard like a larger um establishment like a level two or three or whatever could be like a theater yeah 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 like one of the examples looks like the globe theater in london which is really cool Mm -hmm. and the idea is that you um you attract followers that run your your so let's say you've got tavern so you attract a barkeeper the barkeep looks after the tavern and and makes the money and you make a certain amount of money from your establishment every month per level so at level one i think you get a thousand gold and then at level two you get two. You're right, Joe. Apologies. Yeah, right. <laughs> falling over. Um, level three you get three thousand. That kind of thing. Um, each season, so every four months is what it is, not each month. So you, you're constantly making money from your establishment. But then the extra thing you get to do is you can go to your barkeep and say, "Have you heard anything about X, Y, Z?" So let's say in your game you're fighting the the cult of the Rakdos, and uh, I'm using Ravnica because I've been reading it over the weekend. Um, 
and you need to know where they're going to set up their next circus for example and you go to your barkeep and you say mm, have you have you heard anything and the dm can go oh yeah i have actually heard about a really bloodthirsty circus that's that's going through velenpore or something mm-hmm. and then you go right right party we're going there the other thing you can do is which i think is quite nice is during the adventure you can have um lower members of your establishment so let's say a waiter come to you and say oh yeah i overheard someone saying this 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 in a booth and then you're like right now i've got information and what i love about this is there there are obviously rules for this but if the dm wants to drop a little plot hook or something like that they can just have these npcs do it naturally yeah. it doesn't have to tie into like and it oh, you makes know, all these sense po- for them to yeah. do it, it doesn't have that's to, their job yeah, it doesn't have to tie into all this like you know once a season or whatever you know and oh has he got the points to do this the dm could just do it if they want and it's it gives them the perfect environment where they can start developing these quests and stories and stuff like that yeah um so that's kind of the, the i think the establishment is the one that least interests me but because it's that's not my style of play but if you're a rogue and you want to be that if you want to be Littlefinger in game of thrones or um i always forget his name the the, the big monk man monk man in game of thrones and he he's and he's like he hangs out with Tyrion. he puts him in a box Oh, the spider. The spider, that's the one. If you want to be like the spider, you have an establishment. This is how you do it. Um, and it's just a nice way as a DM to to drop in little extra plot things that you need to... like, And make the player feel like they've earned them by having their own establishment. You're not just giving them it because you need them to progress the story. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And, I mean, they do say there's a little sidebar there about, like, yes, the establishment will give your players an immense amount of money as, yeah. as time goes on. But... This is a good thing. It, and it also you want more money. It also, so ma- more also makes things strategic as well. If say a low level party wants to get a stronghold early, mm. say they're like level four, and if they pull all their money together, they can get about about ten k. It makes the most sense. The rogue can say, "Well, look, what I build like my, as well." The rogue can say, "Build my establishment first, then I'll start raking in the cash, and we can, and build, we can build all your else, strongholds." Yeah. But what I like as well is that you don't have to build it as a sneaky like backhanded thing i as a let's say i'm playing a uh i was gonna say wizard but i'd just go straight for the tower (laughs) let's say i'm playing a bard and i i want to make money and have somewhere to perform to make a bigger name for myself at level four so i buy an establishment i build an establishment and i buy myself a tavern and i perform in that tavern every every season you know and i genuinely make a name for myself and i go back every season and i get money and i perform and my character progresses there is nothing there that is me saying i want to have a sneaky spy network but the dm can still say oh you're in the tavern and your um your worker friend your barkeep comes to you and says oh by the way i overheard someone saying this the other day maybe that'll interest you in your adventuring party or you're there and you're you're the owner of the establishment so one of the people who's visiting your tavern comes over and says Oh, so you run this place? Um, you you run with an adventuring party. I could make I can make use of you. So even though I, my bard, is building an establishment to make money and progress his career as a bard, you can still drop in these nice little extra. I also think bugs. as well, this is the the one stronghold that I think makes the most sense to get really early. Yeah, because it, it's easy enough for an adventuring party, even at like level three, if they really work hard to save up about five k, right? Yeah. And bear in mind, if you get a ruin, everything's half. costs half. Yeah. So if you could save up five k, you're much more likely to find a, say, burnt, half burnt down, abandoned 
yeah, tavern. So, uh, so or, uh, an establishment costs six thousand if you build it from oh, yeah, scratch. Oh yeah, exactly. So three k then if yeah. it's halved. Um, you're, yeah, you're very likely to say find a burnt down tavern in a dodgy district on the end of town than you are say a destroyed vacant giant castle mm. you know what i mean what i think is interesting as well is on the on the level tables the establishment is the only one that doesn't level so keeps towers and temples all go level one two three four five but the establishment you build the establishment and then that's that's it your establishment is 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 done but you can upgrade it so you don't actually make it bigger you just make it better mm. um which is kind of a, a different way to look at it as well if you're looking at all of them yeah it's interesting I mean to be honest the establishment is the one I'm the least read up on but I'm quite interested because yeah I like the idea that it always stays like this very quaint say blacksmith right but all you've got to do is step into the back room and there's all sorts of crazy stuff yeah stuff going on back there yeah and um Obviously, the barred one, as you level it up, can get bigger and bigger, like the theatre. Like yeah. There's, there's different... Yeah, it, it's a, it's a flavour thing. You Rather than building it bigger, you upgrade it. Yes. In, in that, so it's it's different wording, but it means the same thing. Yeah, I mean, if I was going to run it like for one of my players, and if my players wanted a bigger one, I would say, like, okay, you start off with a tavern, hmm. then it becomes like... Then it becomes a, a, a restaurant. Like, like an, yeah, then, then an, an inn. Then now it's like a mansion. Yeah, now yeah. it's a hotel, and you've got brothels and things and whatever. Yeah. So it's really cool, and yeah, I like I like the the establishment as the the first one the party gets. The rogue gets it. He starts running things, and I feel like the establishment is the one that makes the most sense that you can thematically leave. Mm. You just leave your barkeep in charge. You get him to keep tabs on. Yeah, secrets. you leave your manager in charge. Someone trustworthy, you know, yeah. so they're not stealing your money. Yeah, and you can go off on adventures. And but hey, you... there's a quest. Maybe they are stealing your money. Yeah, exactly. And it says about this in like, it says on the followers like chart basically or when they're talking about it it says look when you get a follower stress to your players this is a reward they're not going to betray you and it says unless you want them to exactly this is like <laughs> when you first get them they're not going to betray you. No. this is a reward for building a keep yeah. or whatever says, but if, if you, you, go, if you upset them down yeah. the line then they will yeah um, and that can go the other way as well what's interesting is one of the rules in warfare for getting units, for instance, is there's a table for different units working for different races. Hmm. So, for instance, if a treant unit, like a big unit of like treants throwing rocks and stuff hmm. in your army, works for a human, they'll be friendly, hmm. which makes them slightly cheaper. But undead, hmm, not so happy to work for a human. I think they're hostile. I don't even think you can get them. But hmm. say someone in between, like elves, they look down on humans. You can get you can get a unit of elven archers, but they look down on you, so they cost more. Over time, if you please them, you perform well in battle. The DM can say, well, actually, no, they're they're friendly to you now. They're, they'll work for less. Yeah. And the same thing can happen to followers, retainers, things like that. I love. There's a follower called a spy who. His benefit is he makes it much harder for people to spy on you. Like yeah. It ups the DC, and it makes it easier for you to spy on other people. But you want to keep the spy sweet. You know what I mean? You don't want him to... Uh, Go off and give your info yeah, to you, someone else. You yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't want to underpay the guy, so he ends up going and someone else is... So this, you could... What's awesome, I think, thematically as well, is if you... Rec- say you recruit a follower... Um, and they normally say you should get a follower when you level up, when you build a stronghold, or when you level up a stronghold. But it's up to the DM. The DM can reward them any time. So say yeah, you've you can compl- get a follower by saving them from a load of goblins. Say for you've example. completed a quest, you've managed to flip a spy from one thieves guild to, to your thieves guild. Yeah. So now he's got all sorts of secrets from that other guild. Yeah. And, but then can you trust him? Because he just 
He just, just flipped like that. Yeah. So much. There's so much stuff there. Then I love this book. Yeah, I, it's good. I, I love it. It is really good. I guess we'll leave it there. But we'll yeah. come, next week we'll talk about we'll talk about followers. Follow. We'll talk about followers, and we'll also talk about individual class because depending on your class depends who you attract. So I, Yes, and yeah. it slightly modifies your stronghold. Yeah, and gives you extra stuff, and that some of that stuff is really thematic as well, and super broken and OP. But <laughs> it's great. Okay, final thoughts. I think, I think this book is a lot. I think there's a lot here, and as a DM, I'm going yes, yes, yes. As a player, I'm going yes, 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 and as a DM, I'm going <laughs> okay, there's a lot here, <laughs> and I think that that is something you definitely need to remember whether you're a dm or a player if you're reading this book or if you're hearing this podcast you're going this all sounds great i want it you have to have it agreed because there is a lot of extra work here um and and at times i'm reading some of it and i'm like i don't know how i'd even use that i don't know how i'd even put there is a lot of work but the book i think goes to great lengths to to make it as easy as it can for the dm for instance for each follower there's an example stat block and backstory for yeah, them. So yeah. if you if you've got a carpenter come into the keep and you're like, Ugh, now I need to make a carpenter family and backstory, you can just nick just the one from the book, book and yeah. you know, vice yeah. versa. So Yeah. Cool. Okay. So we'll go into this again next week. Um if you've enjoyed the podcast today, it's been a bit of a longer one, but hopefully uh, I think this is this is quite exciting. I've really liked doing this, uh, going through this stuff, so hopefully you've enjoyed it. it too. It brings me back to my second edition days. <laughs> Give us a give us a like on Twitter. Give us a share. Uh, give us a rate on iTunes, Spotify, whatever you're, you're listening to us on, and share us with your friends. Cool. Sweet. See you later. Catch you later. Thanks for listening to us today. If you like the podcast, then do us a favour. Give us a review or a like on iTunes and Anchor, and share us with your friends. You can find us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at WeSpeakCommon. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82 and is licensed under an attribution license CC by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive. 